How are you out there this morning? That rain, is it still raining out there? Yeah. Uh-oh, Kim's stealing the Bible. Stealing Bibles in church. Let's get our Bibles out today. Um, Galatians chapter 5. We've been talking about the fruit of the Spirit. Let me see if I got my spiritual eyes out. I can see all the fruits out there. The good fruit that comes. The fruit of the Spirit is a production of the Holy Spirit. Amen. I don't make myself more loving. I don't make myself more gentle. I, I, I can't do that. Amen. Why? Because I'm wrapped in flesh. But because I'm in Christ and the Holy Spirit's in me, the Holy Spirit's working in me, working in you to develop the fruit of the Spirit in us. We've been going through the works of the flesh, the deeds of the flesh, which are also contained in Galatians 5. And that list is a lot more familiar to us. Why? Because we do those things naturally. We never, had, we never had to learn or be taught how to sin. Isn't that true? Anyone ever go to school and take lying 101? You know, uh, you know, stealing, lying, cheating. No, ever since we were little enough to know that if we told the truth, we would get in trouble, we figured out how to lie. We would steal all the cookies, and when my mom would grab the empty package, we'd all try and look shocked. Someone's told our cookies. <laughs> Sin comes easy. It's natural. It's a byproduct of the flesh. And so as we look at the deeds of the flesh here, we realize these are reflexive things, but through the Holy Spirit, we can overcome them and we can rise above them and see the fruit of the Spirit produced in us instead of the works of the flesh. Now, when we left off with the, these works of the flesh last time we talked about selfish ambition, dissension, and factions. And if you weren't here for that, please get that. It's powerful stuff that allows us to discern these spirits that divide, that even divide families and marriages and churches. But ambition, dissension, and faction are all part of pride out of control. So I'm going to read this text to you, and uh, we're going to cover a few more today. And next week, God willing, we should finish this up. But Galatians 5, starting in verse 18. But if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. Now the deeds of the flesh are evident, which are sexual immorality, impurity, indecent behavior, idolatry, witchcraft. Then we looked at emotions out of control, hostilities, strife, jealousy, and outbursts of anger. Then we moved into pride out of control, selfish ambition, dissension, factions, envy, and murder. And lastly, appetites out of control, drunkenness, and carousing, and things like these, of which I forewarned you, just as I have forewarned you, that those who practice such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. So we all struggle with sin, but we shouldn't give ourselves over to sin to practice it as a lifestyle. Someone say amen. amen. We looked at these selfish ambition, dissension, and faction, said they were a byproduct of pride out of control. We talked about pride last time we were together. I encourage you to get that message in your spirit, allow it to give you the wisdom to overcome such things. But today we're going to look at envy and murder. They are the last two expressions of pride out of control. Envy is absolutely inextricably linked to pride, and murder is linked to pride, that someone would take the innocent life of another person. So let's talk about envy today. It's a beautiful Sunday. We had beautiful worship. Let's jump right into envy. Any jealous people out there? Anybody have a black belt in covetousness? 
Envy is definitely described in the 10th commandment. The 10th commandment gives us a pretty good overview of actually what envy is. Listen to Exodus 20, 17. You shall not covet, here using the word covet to describe jealousy or envy. You shall not covet your neighbor's house. You shall not covet your neighbor's wife or his male servant or his female servant or his ox or his donkey, or anything that belongs to your neighbor. Now, when you hear that list there, you might think, I'm not into oxes and donkeys. My neighbor's house is falling apart, and I'm happy with the wife that I got. Well, there's a little disclaimer in there. It says, anything that belongs to your neighbor. So when we're envious of what belongs to our neighbor, that's where, that's where envy takes place. Now, Let's get a working definition of what it is. Envy is wanting what someone else has. It's not wanting something like someone else has. Oh, Pastor Rick, I like your guitar. I want to get one like that. Pastor Rick, give me that guitar. I want that guitar. Do you understand? Envy is wanting what someone else has. Now, listen. Envy is resenting people who have the things we want. Resentment is linked to envy. It's when we look at people who have the things that we want to have and we are resentful of them. Why do they have this? Why do they have that? Why did they get a promotion? Why do they drive a nice car? Why do they have a big house? I want that. I don't want like that. I want exactly what they have. I want their family. I want their job. I want their spouse. See how dark this gets right out of the box? Envy is wanting what someone else has. It's resenting people who have what we want. And envy is not being content with what God has given us. The biggest sin of envy is the discontentment that comes when we give ourselves over it. God, you've blessed us. You've given us gifts. You've given us relationship. You've given us people. You've given us spouses and children and family. But I'm not happy with what you've given me. I think I deserve more and I want more. In fact, I want what they have. Whoa, see how dark envy gets real quick? It's wanting what someone else has. It's being resentful of the people who have what we want, and it's not being content with what God has given us. Envy implies we don't want things like our neighbor has. We actually want the things our neighbor has, and there is a difference. It's not going by your neighbor's house and going, wow, I want a boat like the Johnsons have. What a great boat that is. It's like, I want the Johnsons boat, and I'm going to get it. Are you getting this? Now, sometimes you might never go and, you know, put a ski mask on and steal the Johnsons boat. But in your heart, you have coveted, you have been envious, you have desired what they have, and you're discontent that you don't have it, and you resent them for having it because you feel like it should be yours. When we think of sins, we don't think envy is usually a big deal. In fact, it doesn't even come to mind. You know, it's jealousy or being uh, jealous or wanting what other people have. That's just the human condition. We've all felt that at one time or another, so it's no big deal. And really, the opposite is true. It is a big deal. Envy starts off being pretty benign, but being envious or jealous, while it is a common human emotion that we've all felt... If we don't nip it in the bud, it will turn into something much bigger, much uglier, and much more destructive. Jealousy 
is when we fixate on something and we become envious. We become envious to the point where we fill ourselves up with that and it metastasizes into the most wicked of sins. Envy that come from just a little twinge of jealousy, if not checked, will turn into adultery, murder, and theft. Did you see what the commandment said? You shouldn't envy your neighbor's spouse. When you do, when you desire someone else who's not yours, but they're someone else, they're in covenant relationship, and you want that person, and you do things, and you, you fixate on it, it can lead to adultery, which is destructive to the soul. It can also lead to theft. Well, I want what they have. I'm going to take what they have. I'm going to, I'm going to steal from them. And envy also leads to murder. We're going to explore that a little more when we talk about murder. But envy and murder work together. The New American Standard Bible doesn't uh, list murder in there, but the King James does. And I believe the two of them uh, are together. They're in most of the manuscripts. But understand, as we cover this today, this is all the result of pride out of control. Why would I give myself over to envy? Because my pride is not in check. I'm not happy with what God's given me. I resent people who have what I want, and I want what they have. So when we feel even a twinge of jealousy because the snowball effect of envy, that when we fixate on our jealousy and it becomes envy and it, and it leads to wickedness and, and deeper sins like adultery, murder, and theft, we have to learn to nip jealousy in the bud. Now, if we're going to be transparent and real to us today, all of us have felt jealous at one time or another. We've all felt jealous of another person. Maybe, you know, it, maybe it was a long time ago. Maybe we've grown a little bit more mature. Maybe we don't care about anything anymore. You know, when you get older, sometimes you tend to mellow a little bit. Any, any, anybody over 50 starting to mellow a little bit? Praise God, I am. The things that used to bother me don't bother me anymore. Young people, listen to this message here. Oh, I want that. I want this. I want his girlfriend. I want her boyfriend. Listen, this envy thing can bite us and snare us and really shipwreck our souls. So when we feel even a twinge of jealousy, we are wise to deal with it immediately. Say immediately. Not later, not once we mull over it, not once we, you know, stew on it a little bit, not when we chew on it. No, if we feel jealous, we should immediately deal with it. And all of us have felt jealous before, and then when we had to admit it to ourselves, it was embarrassing. Anyone ever feel jealous and you're like, oh, man, that's, that's petty. You know, and nobody knew it. You, it was something that happened in your head or your heart, and you felt it, and you were jealous, and you were ashamed of it. Anybody? Well, that shame should drive us to immediately deal with that twinge of jealousy because we, if we don't, it'll turn into envy and it'll lead to worse things in our lives. So how do we, you know, we feel this twinge of jealousy and it rises up in us and what we need to do is deal with it immediately. Turn to your neighbor and say, deal with it. Say it like you mean it. Yeah, deal with it. Deal with it. Sometimes we just have to admit where we're at so that we can deal with it, amen? No, I didn't think that. I didn't feel that. No, I wouldn't do that. I'm too spiritually mature for that. Do you see how it gets a little traction in us when we won't get real with the fact that sometimes we get jealous? 
How do we deal with envy? I just told you to deal with it. I'm going to tell you three ways to deal with it. There are three steps. The first day, way we deal with envy, jealousy, covetousness, whatever you want to define it as, is the first step is this. We confess it to God and we repent of it. Now, confession is the key. Yes, we might feel it and we're embarrassed by it, so we just stuff it down and pretend that it wasn't there, but that's not the way to deal with envy. Why? Because if we don't nip it immediately, it comes back stronger the next time, it pushes a little bit harder, it pushes more of the buttons, and then before we know it, it gets traction in our hearts. So we have to confess it. And I want you to know that confession is important, but there are a lot of people who are good confessors and they confess stuff that they have no intention of changing. Do you ever, you ever talk to somebody and they'll just tell you everything that's wrong with them? Oh, I'm a terrible listener as they cut you off while you talk. Well, I'm very judgmental and they have no desire to stop judging people. They just like to confess, I'm judgmental. Oh, I'm a terrible person. Well, nice to meet you. It's great. Could you lose my number and forget what I look like? But there are a lot of people who are really good confessors. But the thing is, we've got to confess our jealousy. We've got to confess that immediately, but we need to confess it to God. Oh, well, God knows, Pastor Rick. Yeah, he does know, but if we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive our sins, amen? If we pretend that we don't have sin, we're a liar and the truth is not in us. Come on, some James this morning, amen? So if we feel jealous, the first thing we should do is immediately not pretend it's not there, be embarrassed. We should confess it to the Lord. And now, notice there is more to point one here. We confess it to God and we repent of it. The person who's a good confessor but a bad repenter stays stuck in sin. I can confess all my sins and here's everything wrong about me and I'm not good at this and I do that and I blah, 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 blah. But did you repent of it? Because until we repent, we can't get free. We've got to admit it before we quit it, yeah, but we've got to repent of it. What does that mean? It means turning away from it and, and, and forsaking it and, and then turning away from that and filling ourselves with the things of God. Repentance is the key. We confess it, we confess it to God, and we repent of it. it don't be a good confessor but a bad repenter. Amen. Amen. Number two, the second step in dealing with envy. We have to make the choice to let it go. I told you to deal with it. Now I'm going to tell you to let it go. There are certain things that hurt people, that make people angry, that make people jealous, that they never, ever get over. And people say, well, time will just heal all things. Time doesn't heal anything. Time doesn't make sin go away. Time doesn't make memories go away. Time doesn't make your attitude change. There's people who were hurt in third grade when their teacher did X, Y, and Z to them, and they can still tell you the teacher's name and what they did, and when they tell the story, they look like they just lost their best friend. That means they haven't dealt with it, and you haven't let it go. And so I'm going to tell you, let it go. Let me try this section over here. <laughs> Let it go. Yeah. Well, you don't know. You don't know what they did to me. They embarrassed me, humiliated me in front of the whole. They don't even remember you. Yeah. If you say, you, you were my teacher in third grade and you didn't, do you remember? I don't, I don't remember you. Come on now. We're mad at people yeah. that don't even remember us or remember what they did to us. 
because we haven't let it go. And so in dealing with envy, we've got to let go of some things. And what we have to let go of is the resentment we have towards others. Well, why did they get blessed? And why did they get this position? Why, did, why are they financially secure? And why do they have a happy family? And why, 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 why? And all the whys and what ifs. And we torment ourselves. And we just need to trust God and trust in his goodness and let go of all the things that we are envious and resentful of. When we are resentful and we refuse to let it go, it's like a bomb that's inside of us, and it's just ticking. Did you ever have the, did you ever have the misfortune of stepping on someone's toe and there was a bomb inside them and it goes off on you? And you're like, where did that come from? You know, you, you didn't do anything and they explode on you. That's because of stuff down stuff. That's because of discontentment and unforgiveness and jealousy and envy and things that needed to be nipped in the bud that weren't. We've got to choose to let it go. And then number three, we've got to be content with what God has given us. I want to say something to you today. You and I have everything we need to do the will of God in this life and to enjoy the life that God has given us. Amen. You and I lack nothing. Our God is Jehovah Jireh, the provider. He has provided us everything we need to have, to, to do the will of God. Look, well, there's stuff I want that I don't have. Well, if you don't have it right now, it's because you don't need it right now. Do you know the more stuff we have that we don't need, the more it becomes an anchor and a burden to us? I just got to be honest. Over the years, I've collected so much stuff. I feel like a maintenance man now. I'm trying to just keep everything maintenanced and working and together. Anybody else feel I, I, I want to go back to when I had one of everything. You know, you want to be independent. You want to grow up. You want to get your own stuff, your own house. I want to move back home. I'm just, I'm telling you. I'm eyeballing my own room. My parents are like, don't do it. But it's like, we've got to learn to be content with what we have. God has given us everything we need. Everything we need is right there in front of us. Sometimes we just can't see it. Your spouse is exactly what you need. They've got what you need. Stop fighting with them. Stop bickering with them and learn to love each other. Amen. And discover that you've got everything in the treasure that God has given you in your spouse. We have everything we need because God provides all of our needs according to his riches and glory. Amen. <clears throat> I want to tell you a story about contentment. There's a story that's told of the ancient Persian named Ali Hafed. Ali Hafed owned a large farm with orchards and grain fields and gardens. He was a wealthy and content man. One day, a traveler from the east told Ali Hafed about diamonds, and he'd never heard about this. He said, you would be wealthy beyond compare if you had your own diamond mind. Ali Hafed went to bed that night a poor man, poor because he was now discontented and craving to have a diamond mine of his own. So he sold off his beautiful farm and his vineyards and all that he had, and he searched far and wide for the rare stones. He traveled the world over and, and trying and trying to acquire these gems and the mines, and finally he was so poor and broken and defeated that Ali Hafed committed suicide. 
One day, the man who purchased Ali's farm led his camel into the garden to drink. As the camel put his nose into the brook, the man saw a flash of light, and in the stream, he pulled out a diamond, a stone that reflected all the colors of the rainbow. The man had discovered the diamond mine of Kalkanda, the most magnificent diamond mine ever discovered in history. Had Ali Hafed been content to stay in his own garden instead of death in a strange land, he would have enjoyed acres and acres of diamonds. You see, we've got what we need right in front of us. Maybe it's not revealed yet. Maybe it's not apparent yet. Maybe we just can't see it or we won't see it. But we need to learn to trust God and be content with what he's given us. So confess envy, repent of it before the Lord. Let things go and don't be resentful of others or your station in life and choose to be content with the things that you have from the Lord. So why do we envy? It doesn't seem to make sense. It seems to be destructive. It seems to be something that if we have any degree of spiritual maturity, we would categorically reject and that when we feel jealousy, we feel foolish and petty, and why would we give ourselves over it? So we envy because our pride is out of control. Remember I said these last two things, envy and murder, they're linked to pride out of control. Here's how our pride is out of control. We want all the things that don't belong to us. Anybody ever get their eyes bigger than their wallet? Or your eyes bigger than your plate? You know, you just... We want all this stuff, and we don't need all this stuff, but we want it. And we want all the things that we don't have, and we want all the things that don't belong to us, and that's pride out of control. Why do we envy? Because we feel like we deserve more than we have. Now, many of us won't admit this or articulate it, but we feel like they don't deserve that. I deserve that. I've heard people say things, Christian people say things like, how come they got blessed? I, I'm faithful, I serve, I pray, I give, and why didn't I get that? Well, that's ugly. Yeah, yeah. Turn to your neighbor and say, hey, ugly. Yeah. <laughs> well, some of the husbands are like, ain't doing it. Ain't doing it. Smart man. So, I thought it would be fun, but, but you be safe. Be safe out there. That's an ugly thing to be proud like that. Yes. To say, I, I, deserve, I deserve more than that. I feel like I deserve more. God, you've been unjust with me. You've been stingy with me. Woo. That's pride out of control. That's really out of control. We don't deserve anything. We don't come before God and kick our feet and stomp and demand that he give. Listen, if all Jesus ever did is save me from hell for eternity, we're good. I, that's enough for me, amen? Uh, I, I don't have a, a list of demands. And what have you done for me lately, God? No, that's pride out of control. And it's ugly when we feel like we deserve more than we have and God's been unjust with us. Why do we envy because we refuse to be content with what we have. Trust me, you've got what you need. You say, how could you say that, Pastor? Because God is faithful. God doesn't rob anyone. He doesn't rip anyone off. He doesn't shortchange anyone. In fact, he's incredibly gracious. And the truth is, all of us have more than we deserve because we're under grace. 
And if our pride can admit it or not, look, I don't deserve what God has given me. I don't deserve the wife God's given me. I don't deserve the ministry, the house, nothing. I don't deserve it. It's grace. It's all grace in my life. Amen. And some of you are thinking, that's right, Pastor. We felt the same way for a long time. That it's all of us. It's grace. It's a work of grace. So we can't say, God, you know, uh, I want more. Uh, you didn't, you weren't fair. No. Now, that's envy in a nutshell, and I hope that's given you a lot to think about and chew on, but it is definitely not a fruit of the Spirit. It's a work of the flesh. So envy has to go in us. Jealousy has to go in us. We nip it in the bud. We confess it to the Lord. We learn to be content with what we have, and we enjoy the life that God has given us. Someone say amen. Amen. Now, the last manifestation of pride out of control is displayed in the horrible act of murder. Most of us would, you know, easily agree, well, murder is definitely a work of the flesh. That, that's not a spiritual thing. Every civilized person, every civilized society, regardless of race, religion, creed, agree that murdering another human being is the worst of crimes and the biggest of sins. Even nation, even peoples that are ungodly, not Christian, even heathens in their society. I, I can't think of one society where people have fought to legitimize or make murder legal. We live in a crazy world that wants to change all the rules and change all the boundaries and legalize all things and twist things upside down, marriage, gender, whatever it is. But yet no one, I've never seen anyone say, you know what, uh, we need to make murder legal. Why is that? Because everyone realizes that they're on the receiving end of murder. That's not a place that they want to be. We understand that murder is the worst of crimes and the ugliest of sins, and no one is for murder. So let's look at where we get this idea that murder is a wrong thing. First of all, God's law, the Ten Commandments, prohibits murder. Exodus 20, 13 says this, Thou shall not murder. Now, that is so simplistic and clear that you can't twist it around and make it say anything else other than it says. Thou shall not murder. Um, so God's law, the Ten Commandments given to God's people through Moses, make it really clear that the Sixth Commandment prohibits murder. Even before the law was given as a matter of conscience, men knew that it was wrong to take the life of another person unjustly. When Cain killed his brother Abel, Moses had not yet given the Ten Commandments. So what I'm trying to show you here today is that it's not just wrong to murder because it's illegal in God's moral code and man's moral code. It's wrong to murder because God has programmed us as a matter of conscience to know that taking the life of another innocent person is the worst of crimes and the most ugly of sins even before Cain knew about the Ten Commandments. Cain knew when he killed his brother Abel, he had done the wrong thing. In fact, let's catch up with Cain in Genesis 4, verse 8. Now Cain talked with Abel, his brother, and it came to pass when they were in the field that Cain rose up against Abel, his brother, 
and murdered him. So what happened here? Let's backtrack a little bit. Cain kills his brother because he's resentful of him because he envied him. I want you to see this, how it works together. He envied his brother. Why? Because his brother brought an offering to the Lord of his first fruits, and God accepted the offering of Abel. He was pleased with it. Cain brought his leftover junk and gave it to God, and God rejected his offering. And he said, God said to him, if you do what's right, you'll be accepted. But Cain didn't repent. Cain got angry. And what did he do? He became envious of his brother and he rose up against him in his resentment and he murders him. I want you to see how this works together. This is why it's so important for us to nip envy in the bud because you never know where it leads when your pride's out of control and your flesh is out of control. Maybe Cain didn't even have any indication that he was going to do this. Maybe it wasn't premeditated, but he had stored up resentment and envy in his heart. And it says here, when they were in the field, Cain rose up against Abel, his brother, and murdered him. Then the Lord said to Cain, where is Abel, your brother? He said, I don't know. Am I my brother's keeper? Right there. He lies to God because he knows what he's done is wrong, so he's deceitful and evasive with him. See, if he just, oh, yeah, Abel, I killed him. He was annoying. I got rid of him. No, he, he knew what he did was wrong. How did he know? There was no law. It wasn't illegal. There was no commandment. He knew as a matter of conscience that what he had done is wrong. So that's why he gives the famous line, I don't know. Am I my brother's keeper? And he said to him, what have you done? I want you to feel God's disappointment and outrage here. What have you done? I don't think Cain even realized all of what he'd done, but he's about to. God says this, the voice of your brother's blood cries out to me from the ground. So I want you to get this. The Bible says that the life is in the blood. And we know that's true because of medical science. If we got something wrong with us, what's the first thing they do? They do a battery of tests on our blood. And you know what? The blood doesn't lie. You can pretend you eat healthy and exercise, but the blood does not lie. That's why most of us do not go to the doctor for physicals. And they call, Mr. Leonardo, it's time for your annual physical. <laughs> You're breaking up. <laughs> we don't want to go. Why? Because we know Ricky wants the blood work, comes back, the party's over. It's no more buffet, my body. We, we got to, you know, we, we got to get in the gym and we got we to gotta take it easy. So here the scripture says what? Your brother's blood, the life is in the blood, the life force of Abel poured out onto the ground. Your brother's blood cries from the ground to me. Wow, and I want you to think about the implications here. If the blood of one innocent man who was murdered cried from the ground and got the attention of God because it was in his ears. Think about the cacophony of cries and screams that come from the ground where murder is commonplace in our streets, where the abortion mills murder babies every day, all day long. Think about how the blood cries in the ears of a holy, righteous God. And then wonder how long can God withhold judgment from the nations? Murder is the worst of crimes and the ugliest of sins. Here the blood of one innocent man cried from the ground in the ears of God. And in verse 11, God pronounces judgment. He says, so you are cursed 
from the earth, which has opened its mouth to receive your brother's blood from your hand. Wow, murder brings a curse upon those who murder. It brings a separation from society, from God, and it is a sin that needs to be repented of. Now, it is not the unpardonable sin, but it is a heinous sin that breaks the heart of God when we would break God's law and take the innocent life of another human being. Now, let's understand the difference between killing and murder. One is justifiable under certain circumstances, and the other is never justifiable under any circumstances. Here are three examples of killing. When you kill an animal for food, that is not murder. I want to see how many hippies we got out there today. I don't care what Peter says or what this group says or uh, stop hugging the tree and read God's word. It says that he gave us the cattle and all these things for food for us to eat. There is a reason that I have incisors in my head and I have teeth that are for tearing meat. Not so I can eat tofu. I'm sorry. When you, when you go to Chick-fil-A and you get yourself a chicken sandwich... You did not murder a chicken. Please get this. Some of the things that Christian people say, I don't have much hair left, but I'm tearing it out. You murdered an animal. You murdered one of God's sentient little... Oh, Look, you don't have to eat meat if you don't want, but you're not allowed to create your own morality. And there's certain groups, and they call themselves Christians, and they create their own morality. And if God says you can eat it, then you don't get to say we can't eat it. So... Whatever you want. You want to have a salad at the Daily Planet? God bless you. You want to have a steak at Amenia Steakhouse? God bless you. But when you kill an animal for food, that is not murder. When a soldier kills an enemy in combat while engaged in a just war, that is killing, not murder. I want, you to, I want you to listen to what I said, a just war. When a nation declares war on another nation to take their resources or to take their land, that is not just. And that nation that sends people out to murder other people for their own greed and for their own pride out of control, they will answer for that because that innocent blood will cry from the ground. What's going on in Ukraine, what's going on, you know, what's going on with the Israel situation here and stuff. There are people that are unjustly taking life. And every one of them, every one of them will be held accountable by God. But when a soldier in, in a just war defends his country, defends his nation, defends his family, he doesn't murder another soldier. That killing is justifiable in the sight of God. David killed thousands of Philistines, and God said, he's a man after my own heart. David killed one innocent man, Uriah, and he said, you're a bloody man. You can't build the temple for me. I want you to get this. We didn't murder Nazis in World War II. We killed German soldiers who were following orders to exterminate six million Jews. Understand the difference here. So there is a difference between killing and murder. If an armed thief breaks into your home and tries to kill you or hurt your family, uh, breaks into your home and and you fight with them, Leviticus talks about this in detail, and you kill them, that is not murder. Some states are so backwards now that you have a duty to retreat in your own home. If someone breaks in to kill you or steal your stuff, you have a duty to run out the back door. You can't defend yourself. That's unbiblical. 
the Bible says we can defend our own lives. Our lives are precious. Now, would I kill someone over a TV? Would I kill someone over stealing my stuff? No, steal my stuff. I don't care. You know, but if you break into my house to hurt my family, I'm going to defend my family. And that's not murder. That's killing. And sometimes it's justifiable. When a police officer has to deal with a criminal that is, you know, doing bad stuff and they, they, have, to, they have to put that criminal down, they didn't murder a criminal. Oh, here's where it hits the road here. Because we live in such a rebellious, permissive society that we, we think we can do whatever we want. And there's no law and there's no order. And nobody can tell us what we can't do. Now we got people running into stores stealing all kinds of stuff. And as long as it's under $1,000, well, I guess, you know, they can go away. Look how far we've fallen. What a mad world we live in. Talking about the difference between killing and murder. Now, we want to do as little killing as possible. You know, unless it's lunch. Um, but sometimes killing is justified. Murder is never, ever justified. It's never. And we're going we're gonna to give a definition of that, and we're going to understand why. When a person takes the life of another human being for no good reason and sheds their blood in a crime or a domestic incident or in a political action or in an abortion mill, that is murder. It is a heinous crime against God and humanity, and it is never justifiable. It is never justifiable. The actual definition of murder is the shedding of innocent blood. And that's the difference between murder and killing. If you shed innocent blood, that's murder, and it's never justifiable. And I want you to think back on how it links to envy, and we see it on our streets. I wanted their money. I wanted their sneakers. I wanted their car. I want, and I murdered them to take that. Help us, Lord. Such an ugly thing. The sin of murder has been a constant plague upon humanity. It's in our nations. It's in our towns. It's in our community. If you even realize what goes on in the Dutchess County area, how many murders take place actually all around us. Unless you're in law enforcement or you really pay attention, a lot of us are ignorant of these things. And we, we think, oh, you know, everything's fine. No, it's a violent, crazy, murderous world out there. And it breaks the heart of God. Since the first murder where Cain slew Abel and all the murders that are going to take place today, even while I'm preaching, they break the heart of God. Now, murder is an incredible offense to God because it's three things. Number one, it's man destroying what God loves most. What's the big deal about murder? If they're a Christian, they'll go to heaven. If not, you know, and we, we, we get in this place. Well, understand when man takes the innocent life and sheds the innocent blood of another man, it breaks the heart of God. Why? Because they murder that person and they take them away. And it's just something that where they put themselves in this place where they're destroying what God loves most. You know what God loves most? Not buildings and organizations and, you know, theology. God loves people. And when one person kills another, murders another person, that breaks the heart of God. That's why the enemy kills, steals, and destroys, because he, hate what God, he hates what God loves, and God loves people. So when man destroys what God loves most, 
He, he murders another innocent human being, and it's an incredible offense to God. Murder is an incredible offense to God because man is playing God when he ends a life that he didn't create. Right, you and I don't create life. What authority do we have to end it? Think about that. The abortionist that says, well, it's a matter of convenience, it's a medical procedure, it's between blah, 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 and they snuff out a life, an innocent life, in the womb that should be the safest place on the earth. That's man playing God and ending a life he didn't create. And it grieves the heart of God and it brings the wrath of God and the innocent blood of it cries out in a deafening cacophony in the ears of God. Murder is an incredible offense to God because it destroys what he loves most. It's man playing God and snuffing out life he didn't create. And it's man stealing the potential and the future of another individual unjustly. Think about the potential and the future and the capacities that a little baby has. And to think how we would snuff it out for convenience sake. Let's be honest. We use abortion as birth control in the West now. It's not all the health of the mother. That's less than like 2%. People use it as birth control for convenience sake. God help us. The, the innocent blood that cries out from the ground and we steal the potential and the future of another human being unjustly. When I held my sons in my hands when they were born, my son Riley and my son Austin, I was overwhelmed with the sense of the, the potential that I was holding in my hands oh, yeah. as these children were born. Yeah. Oh, yeah. You never know what, what they're going to do, what their capacity is, what their potential, what their destiny is, who will be an evangelist, save sinners, build a great church, lead people to Christ, cure cancer. We, we have no idea what we've snuffed out by taking innocent life in, the, in our nation. So it steals the potential in the future of another human being and is an incredible offense to God. Now you might think, boy, that envy was tough, but murder was, it got real quiet on murder. And you might think, I'm just so glad that I've never literally killed anybody. Now if you did, don't, don't raise your hand. <laughs> but I, I would be remiss if I didn't bring this point out today as we close down the topic of murder with pride out of control. Uh, for all of us here today that have never literally taken another life of a person unjustly uh, and committed the actual act of murder, Jesus has something to say to us that we need to consider in Matthew 5, 21 and 22. Jesus says this in Matthew 5, 21 and 22. You have heard this, it was said of old. So talking about the ancients with the commandments, you shall not murder. And whoever murders will be in danger of the judgment. So the penalty for murder was the death penalty in Old Testament. Verse 22, Jesus says, but I say to you. So he said, this is the way it was. This was the old way. This is the new way. You're New Testament Christians, right? Yes, but I say to you that whoever is angry with his brother without a cause shall be in danger of the judgment. And whoever says to his brother, Raka, you empty head, shall be in danger of the council. But whoever says, you fool or you good for nothing, shall be in danger of hellfire. You see, Jesus wanted us to know that it's possible to be guilty of murder in our hearts without ever shedding a single drop of human blood. How do we murder without literally 
physically taking the life of another person unjustly. We can murder a person in our hearts with unwarranted anger. Do you realize when you're angry at someone and they've done nothing wrong to you, if you've ever been on the receiving end of that, you've done nothing wrong to a person, a, a schoolmate, a boss, a coworker, and they just hate you. They hate something about you. They're resentful of you. They're envious of you, and so they hate, they hate you. We can murder another person in our hearts when we're angry with them without cause. We can murder a person with our lips when we use our toxic tongues to rip them apart. Man, we live in an ugly, vitriolic world. Go online and say something that's not popular, and like, like buzzards, they'll come out from everywhere to rip your flesh apart. And what do they do with that toxic tongue? They, they say all kinds of things that come from wicked intentions and a murderous heart. We can murder a person publicly by destroying their character. You think about all the accusations and all the judgments that people make about each other online. You know, the, the internet can be a useful thing, but more than ever, it's a, it's a toxic, ugly thing. And people destroy other people's character and other people's lives online by, say, disparaging things about them. You know, some of you understand this stuff. They call it cancel, the cancel culture. We're going to destroy you because we don't like what you think or what you stand for. We're going to take your job away. We're going to take your income away. We're going to take your social standing away. Come on today. That's literally murdering another person. And you know what I want to tell you about that? 90% of the accusations and the, the attacks are untrue. And it doesn't even matter. By the time they're done canceling, they've literally murdered another person by destroying their reputation and even their ability to make a livelihood. We can murder a person in our hearts with unwarranted anger. We can murder a person with our tongues with our toxic words. We can murder a person publicly by destroying their character. And lastly, we can murder a person by passing unjust judgment upon them. Look what the text says. When you call someone Raka, an empty head. You know, I, I sort of thought that was funny when I first read it. You know, we say things to each other, teasing each other, you knucklehead, all these things. That's not what this is talking about. This is when you pass judgment over someone hatefully and basically saying, you are a, a brainless moron. You, you, don't, you say nothing valid. You have no worth. Do you see this? What does that come from? That comes from murderous intentions from a real dark heart. Look what, look what else the text says here. When it says, you fool, which translates you good for nothing. When you tell someone you pronounce judgment over them, you're worthless. Those are some of the most ugly words you can say about a person. You are worthless. Jesus says you've murdered them in your heart and you're in danger of judgment. You can murder a person without ever shedding a drop of human blood. Envy and murder both flow from pride that is out of control. Let's rebel against pride. Let's embrace humility. Let's refuse to harbor any jealousy or envy in our hearts, to repent of it, to confess it to God, to nip it in the bud so that it cannot grow into anger and judgment and murderous intentions. Envy and pride are all about, envy and murder are all about pride out of control. Let's bow our heads this morning. Let's just take a moment in God's presence 
if we're jealous of others, if there's anyone we're resentful of, I pray this morning that we would confess it to God and repent of it. If we've judged others with our judgments, with our words, with our toxic tongues, if we've harbored resentment and anger and hate in our heart for others, let's get free this morning. Let's just take a few moments. morning Jesus forgive forgive me forgive us Father help us to be content with what we have deliver us from pride that says I want more I deserve more I want what they have. I deserve it. God, deliver us from that. Deliver us from the pride and the judgment and the toxic tongue and words that we pronounce over others as we judge them. Father, let us be gentle as lambs, gentle as doves, praying for the lost, praying for the wicked. Have mercy on us, God. Let us embrace humility and renounce pride to walk away from envy and murder. Heal our land, God, where we murder the unborn and the innocent, where people are murdered in the streets for the goods that they have. Bring revival, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Give him praise.